Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this topic matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. This is Dr. Casey Grover bringing you another episode. So uh, I'm pretty new to podcasting, and I wanted to make one brief correction from episode one. So I talked a little bit about doing a lousy job of addressing substance use, and I talked about things like screening for alcohol use with gastritis and tobacco use with dyspnea. Well, I I actually wanted to clarify because I think we do ask about these things, and I personally, in my practice, ask about them regularly. Uh, I mean, so somebody comes in with vomiting, and we kind of work them up, and we find out it's gastritis. I absolutely ask about alcohol use, and I let them know that alcohol use can contribute to and cause gastritis. I think the better question is, and what I was really trying to get at, is do we offer treatment when we identify substance use as a problem? Meaning, do we go beyond, hey, you've got to stop drinking as it's causing your gastritis? Uh, We know if they've tried to stop before. Do they get withdrawal when they stop drinking? Do they need support? And to this point, since uh, the last episode we recorded, I've actually started asking all of my patients that smoke, do you want treatment for tobacco cessation? And so far, I have a 100% acceptance rate. And I'll be putting together a podcast later on uh, pharmacologic options for tobacco cessation. But just simply asking the question, when you identify a substance as causing a problem, do you need treatment or do you want treatment, I think is a great first step in moving towards doing a better job of treating substance use in the emergency department. So this particular episode is a bit of a bonus episode. Uh, I'm really excited about getting started, and I'd like to be as evidence-based as I can as we learn addiction medicine together. So I'll be periodically reviewing papers like this to go through evidence-based answers to our questions. And so I found this paper. The lead author is Evan Wood. It's from the JAMA Rational Clinical Examination Series. And the title is, Will This Hospitalized Patient Develop Severe Alcohol Withdrawal Syndrome? It was published in JAMA in 2018. And I found this paper and thought it was going to be exactly what I was looking for. And I need to clarify that the question they're asking is a little different than the question I was looking for, but I think in the end, both are useful. So they are asking, how can I tell if my patient who I am admitting or admitting to observation will develop severe alcohol withdrawal. And I wanted to know which of my patients with alcohol use disorder need to be admitted for severe withdrawal versus who can I manage as an outpatient, meaning which patients who I know are going to withdraw are going to withdraw so severely that they have to be hospitalized. The article begins with a little bit of a background, namely, why should we care about alcohol withdrawal? And they cite a statistic that globally, overconsumption of alcohol accounts for 33 deaths per 100,000 people. And we learned in episode one that in the United States, there are 95,000 deaths per year from overconsumption of alcohol. So as we talked about in episode one, substance use kills a lot of people. Now, 
in people who are heavy drinkers, when they stop drinking, they can develop alcohol withdrawal. And what we worry about is severe alcohol withdrawal, as this can be dangerous or life-threatening. Severe alcohol withdrawal in this article is basically broken down into three subtypes. One is severe alcohol withdrawal, that's kind of redundant, but that's what they wrote, withdrawal seizures, and delirium tremens. Now, severe withdrawal is important because the historical mortality was as high as 15%. Fortunately, with current treatment protocols, mortality from severe alcohol withdrawal is less than 5%. Now, in general, we define alcohol withdrawal based on the DSM-5 criteria. And basically, it starts with a person has had a succession or reduction of alcohol use that has previously been heavy or prolonged. So step one, they have to be a heavy drinker and they have to stop. Next, alcohol withdrawal is defined if you have two or more of any of the following. Number one, autonomic hyperactivity like tachycardia or hypertension. Number two, hand tremor. Number three, insomnia. Number four, nausea and vomiting. Number five, visual, tactile, or auditory hallucinations. Number six, psychomotor agitation, which is basically kind of general restlessness. Number seven, anxiety. And number eight, tonic-clonic seizures. It's also important to be called alcohol withdrawal. It causes distress to the patient and impairs the functioning of the patient. And then lastly, it has to be from the alcohol as opposed to something else like sepsis. So just to kind of review that again, we define alcohol withdrawal as a person who has stopped heavier prolonged use. They have two or more symptoms or signs of withdrawal. It causes distress and impairment of function, and it's not caused by another condition. Now, we've thrown around the term delirium tremens, and we'll start with how do we define delirium? And delirium is really defined in four ways. Number one, the patient has disturbed attention, meaning they can't focus or direct their attention in a meaningful fashion. Number two, it develops quickly over hours to days, and that's really to differentiate it from things like dementia, which develop over months to years. Delirium also, number three, involves a disturbance in cognition, and number four, it's not explained by another cause. And lastly, the definition of delirium tremens is when you have alcohol withdrawal and delirium caused by alcohol withdrawal. The article next goes into the pathophysiology of alcohol withdrawal, which being a geek is my favorite part. So the question is, why does alcohol withdrawal happen? First, alcohol increases the effect of GABA in the brain, and GABA is overall an inhibitory neurotransmitter. Additionally, alcohol suppresses the effects of glutamate at the NMDA receptor, which has an excitatory effect. So basically, alcohol increases inhibition, and decreases excitation, which is why it's kind of a general sedative or depressant. When you have heavy alcohol use, the brain tries to balance itself out by suppressing GABA and upregulating the glutamate system to be able to maintain homeostasis. Your brain basically balances out the neurotransmitters in the brain to be able to function normally. So when you stop drinking alcohol, you now have way too much glutamate at the NMDA receptor, so you have excessive excitation, and you now have too little GABA, resulting in inadequate inhibition or sedation, and so you basically have this kind of overexcited state. About 50% of people with a history of long-term heavy alcohol use will develop withdrawal when they stop. 
And what does alcohol withdrawal look like? Well, it appears within the first 24 hours of abstinence. There's going to be autonomic hyperactivity, which is going to be the person's tremulous. They've got a racing heart rate. They might be nauseated. They're also going to have some psychiatric symptoms, anxiety, restlessness, insomnia. And on physical exam, you might see a tremor, diaphoresis, tachycardia, or hypertension. Up to 2 to 8% of patients will develop hallucinations. Without treatment, up to 10% of patients with alcohol withdrawal will go on to develop tonic-clonic seizures. And without treatment, one-third of those patients who develop seizures will go on to develop delirium tremens. And they don't really specify in the article if that's without treatment, up to 10% of those people with severe withdrawal will develop tonic-clonic seizures or just general. But I think given the title of the article, those numbers refer to patients with severe alcohol withdrawal. The next thing you want to do as far as assessing the patient is take a history. Ask about how much alcohol do they consume? What's the amount? What's the drink? What's the frequency? How many days, months, or years have they been drinking in a row? You may want to also ask a family member to confirm or refute since sometimes patients will under-report. And then also, when was the last drink? Because basically the clock starts at the last drink and withdrawal will develop within the first 24 hours. It's also important to know about previous experiences with withdrawal and previous experiences with treatment for alcohol use disorder. Now, I wish I could give you a hard and fast rule on how much alcohol will lead to withdrawal, but we actually don't have that number. So in general, a greater amount of alcohol consumed, a greater number of consecutive days drinking, and a greater number of drinks throughout the day will all be more predictive that your patient will withdraw. This is a little bit of soft science, but kind of using opiates as a marker, you can probably think about two weeks of heavy alcohol intake may result in withdrawal when there is cessation, but you might be able to get it sooner than two weeks with very high intake. And as far as lab work, these patients should probably get a CBC, a CMP, including liver function tests, and an alcohol level. The next part of the article actually describes the literature review. And again, this is part of the JAMA Rational Clinical Examination Systematic Review. This was a systematic review of the literature, and their initial search found 530 papers. They screened them all and found 14 that were pertinent in answering the question, will this hospitalized patient develop severe alcohol withdrawal syndrome? In those papers, in total, 71,295 patients, 1,355 cases of severe alcohol withdrawal, 53 cases of alcohol withdrawal seizures, and 251 cases of delirium tremens, also known as DTs. When looking at the incidence of alcohol withdrawal, they started with general med surge admissions, and interestingly, that was only 0.67%. When they looked at motor vehicle crash admissions, that was much higher, at 10%. And that may be because substance use predisposes patients to traumatic injuries, particularly, as we know, drunk driving. In looking at patients who had recently been consuming alcohol or had a blood alcohol concentration of greater than 200 milligrams per deciliter, the risk of severe alcohol withdrawal on admitted patients was 7%. And lastly, when looking at patients who were admitted to a medical unit that was specific for alcohol withdrawal management, 23% of patients developed severe alcohol withdrawal. So generally not that common, and in patients who are admitted to a specialty unit for withdrawal, much higher. Now, one of the things that I'm a little bit frustrated about with this paper is how do we define severe alcohol withdrawal versus just regular old or even just mild alcohol withdrawal? And unfortunately, it's not defined. And this term, severe alcohol withdrawal, is not standard in the literature. The authors then move on 
to look at the risk factors for developing severe withdrawal. And the first one they looked at is that if a patient has a history of delirium tremens, they have a likelihood ratio of 2.9 of developing severe alcohol withdrawal. If a patient is in an episode of withdrawal and that episode of withdrawal involves three or more seizures, the patient has a likelihood ratio of 2.8 of going on to develop severe alcohol withdrawal. Interestingly, a history of withdrawal seizures in the past was not particularly predictive of developing severe alcohol withdrawal. In looking at the admission blood alcohol concentration, in patients with a blood alcohol concentration of greater than 200 milligrams per deciliter, that was a likelihood ratio of 3.5 for developing severe alcohol withdrawal. Low platelets and high AST are associated, though not as strong, with severe withdrawal as well. The authors move on to looking at actually scoring tools to predict alcohol withdrawal. And I actually hadn't heard of this. The first scale they discuss is called the Prediction of Alcohol Withdrawal Severity Scale, and this one is available on MDCalc. The first question is, has the patient drank alcohol in the last month, or is there a detectable alcohol level on admission? And if the answer is no, you don't go any further, and they're not at risk for withdrawal. If, however, the answer to that first question is yes, we then follow it with 10 questions. Question number one, has the patient been intoxicated in the past 30 days? Question two, has the patient had previous episodes of alcohol withdrawal? Question three, has the patient had withdrawal seizures in the past? Question four, has the patient ever had DTs? Question five, has the patient ever undergone treatment for alcohol use? Number six, has the patient ever experienced blackouts with drinking? Number seven, has the patient combined alcohol with downers like benzodiazepines or barbiturates in the past 90 days? Number eight, has the patient combined alcohol with drugs of abuse in the past 90 days? Number nine, is the admission blood alcohol level positive? Number 10, does the patient appear to have increased autonomic activity such as tachycardia, tremor, sweating, etc.? A score of four or more was felt to be at high risk for severe alcohol withdrawal with a likelihood ratio of 174. That's pretty darn good. And a score of three or less, that was considered to be low risk for severe alcohol withdrawal with a likelihood ratio of 0.07. So that's overall pretty good. The other scale they talked about was the Lubeck alcohol withdrawal scale. And this one, unfortunately, is not available on MDCalc. It's overall pretty similar Basically, they ask 10 very similar questions looking at, is the blood alcohol concentration greater than 100? Is there ataxia? Is there sleep disturbance? Is there tremor? Is there sweating? What's their heart rate? Very similar questions. And for their score, a score of 9 or greater had a likelihood ratio of 12 of developing severe alcohol withdrawal, and a score less than 9 had a likelihood ratio of 0.05 for developing severe alcohol withdrawal. So overall, pretty good as well. I like MDCalc. I don't have any relationship with MDCalc beyond the fact that I use it on shift. So I'm probably going to be using the prediction of alcohol withdrawal severity scale when I'm considering what a patient's risk of developing severe alcohol withdrawal is. All right, putting together a few last thoughts. So from this article, we probably have a good handle on which patients from a general population will develop severe alcohol withdrawal. But I'm still wondering... Of the patients that we know will withdraw, as in 
they come to the hospital saying, I need to be admitted for withdrawal, or they've come to the hospital in withdrawal, which of those are more likely to develop severe withdrawal versus more moderate withdrawal? And I think this is where alcohol withdrawal scales become very important. And the CIWA, C-I-W-A, which stands for the Clinical Institute Withdrawal Assessment for Alcohol, this is where these alcohol withdrawal scales are so important. And the reason is it allows us to measure and trend alcohol withdrawal and also to tie medication to worsening withdrawal, as in a score of 10 gets a certain dose of Valium, a score of 20 gets a higher dose of Valium. We can be proactive in how we treat. And as I was saying, we can trend the score over time and the medication requirements over time to see what the overall kind of course and pattern of withdrawal is when a patient's in a supervised setting, such as the inpatient medical ward. And we have an addiction medicine doctor at our hospital, and I asked him about this. I said, take a look at this paper, but I don't feel like it answers the question, who of the patients that we know are going to withdraw, which of them will develop severe withdrawal and which of them will not. And his assessment was, it's really hard to predict who will develop more severe withdrawal than the others. Of course, that's in the context that there's a general trend that more alcohol and more alcohol for longer increases the risk. And, and the reason this is important is we often therefore admit for supervised withdrawal, people call that detox, and then we monitor the patients to actually see how the withdrawal goes and what their CEWA scores are. And we can actually see, okay, we admitted them, their scores were relatively low on day one, and they went up higher on day two, indicative of more severe withdrawal. And for this reason, the average length of stay for our admissions to our chemical dependency service for supervised withdrawal management for alcohol usually take two to three days. It just takes some time. So kind of the take home for me was looking at a general medical population, we might be able to predict who can withdraw. But in patients we know are going to have withdrawal and we are admitting them to manage their withdrawal it's hard to predict who's going to have a severe case, and therefore, it takes time to monitor, observe, and trend the CEWA scores and follow that alcohol withdrawal scale to really get a sense of what a person's course of their withdrawal is going to be. Okay, home stretch. Take-home points. Severe alcohol withdrawal in a general med surge population of admitted patients is low at less than 1%. Severe alcohol withdrawal in admitted patients who are heavy drinkers is about 7%. Severe alcohol withdrawal in patients presenting for withdrawal management to a medical detox unit is high at about 25%. Take a good history about alcohol use to help you understand your patient's risk factors for developing severe alcohol withdrawal. As far as risk factors, a history of DTs, multiple seizures, during withdrawal, and a high blood alcohol concentration of admission all increase the risk of severe alcohol withdrawal. Consider using a score such as the prediction of alcohol withdrawal severity scale to screen for patients at risk for severe alcohol withdrawal. Alcohol withdrawal scales can be used to trend the severity of alcohol withdrawal and facilitate prompt and appropriate treatment in patients admitted for withdrawal management. Thanks to everyone for listening. Hopefully this was as useful for you as it was for me. Wishing you all a great rest of your day, week, and month, and I'll see you at the next episode.